Hi, I'm Owen from Bite Size Irish Gaelic, and welcome to episode 50 Ever a Quaga of the Bite Size Irish Gaelic podcast. Even if you're alone learning to speak Irish outside of Ireland, don't despair. Rest assured that there are thousands like you across the globe, all interested in tapping into Ireland's native culture. And for all about this podcast, go to www dot bite size dot irish slash podcast and i want to give a shout out to our newest members at bite size irish gaelic who are learning with their online bite size lessons program so welcome to cart in london in england vanessa in coolum beach queensland in australia patrick in belmont michigan uh, welcome to sean in new south wales in australia Welcome to Jody in Amarillo, Texas, to Cara in Missoula, Montana, to Donald in Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, James joined Bite Size Irish Gaelic and he's in Winchester, Virginia, JT was in Paisley, East Scotland and he's learning. I wonder does JT have a bit of, bit of Gaelic from Scotland? I wonder, that'd be interesting to find out. Uh, welcome to Barb in Germantown, Wisconsin, and to Krista in Ardmore, Philadelphia. Now, I had a quick look up about Ardmore in Philadelphia because it sounds like a very Irish name, and the Wikipedia page doesn't say anything about an Irish name, but no, I wouldn't be surprised. So I stand to be corrected. I'd love to find out. So today I'm joined by a very special guest, and his name is Bob Burke. And he's the former president of the North American Association for Celtic Language Teachers. Bob, Falchistach, Konstatatu. Bad time I go hard and go my head. Untuch. Can I sit down and talk to you? I'll tell me in Washington State, near uh, Yeshkert, Washington State, uh, in Akala, Portland, Oregon. So, Neil, do you want to Portland? Neil, Gavila Deg, Sir, of Portland. Hmm, good Hmm. I made the Bob is sir counter island and down Oh, ta, ta, yeah. Then the slave dog is in Forish, uh, and go out to in air and ever and four, I guess, it's a giver. Uh, Tashe Tiram, and chat, big, well, I guess, why didn't he no, Natasha in the air and Ibrahim Tauri. Nivin Shiro in the air. Bob, we'll switch over. And so, whereabouts in the world are you? Oh, I'm in a little town called Camas, Washington, which is in southwest Washington state. And we're real close to Portland, Oregon. That's our nearest large city. And it's we're, a lovely spot, right? Oh, it's lovely. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> Although, to be honest, there's so many people coming here that our now default answer to the usual question, doesn't it rain there all the time? Our default answer has become, it is, but most people get used to it. Yeah. Uh, you say the same in Ireland, don't you? Yes. Yes. Now, yeah, we wanted, um, because you know some of our past guests, Bob, and I wanted to give a little shout out to them and 
back to their episode numbers if a listener wants to go back and hasn't heard them. So there's Brino Hart, who's in Portland, and that's episode 35. There was Ashling Adams, very interesting conversation with Ashling about uh, the landscape and other things in Oregon. That was uh, number 41. And there was Jer Colleen in uh, number 45. So, Bob, a bit of background uh, yourself and Jer, you both worked at Merrillhurst University. Is that in Oregon, right? Yes, yes. Uh, it's about 10 miles south of Portland, Oregon. Okay. In another small little town, uh, Lake Oswego. Yeah, hmm. It's a very nice, it's a university that's for returning students. So most everyone that attends there is an adult. There's no fraternities, no sororities, no football teams. The uh, the emphasis is on the adult learner. Uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful atmosphere to be there. Excellent. So tell me, like listening to your accent in English, you sound completely American, and <laughs> listening to your accent in Irish, like my first impression was you were definitely Irish. So you are from you grew up in America, right? I I did. Yeah, born and raised on the outskirts of Chicago. Okay. And with a surname like Burke, I'm sure that you have some Irish ancestry. Is that right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, my father's parents both came from Tipperary, a little town or a little village by the name of Emily. And my mother is from Lucy Casey in County Clare. You know what? So, <laughs> Great. Yeah, got a lot of Irish background there. And tell me, Bob, uh, when you were growing up in Chicago, was there any bit of uh, Irishness to the community around you, or was it just your family? It was it was just family. And at that time, growing up in the 40s and the 50s, the immigrants were very interested in becoming American. So the, the old country was left behind. There was very little talk of the old country. I don't know if my grandparents spoke Irish or not, but it was never mentioned. And in fact, they were very reluctant to talk about what they left behind. Hmm. And, oh. and I know in the course of my father's father, uh, you know, I've been to the place where he was raised and there's still cousins there. It was from productive farmland, although they didn't own the farm, that was productive farmland. And three or four of his brothers stayed there. The girls became nuns came to America. My grandfather was the only boy of the family to come to America. And no one knows why, but mm. that's, that's how things happen. Interesting. And do you think, was that, do you find that that's a common thing that, that there were uh, such, like they were cutting the ties so much with the old country or was that just a, a personal circumstance? Uh, I think it was from people from all countries at that time. Mm. Uh, they wanted to become American. They wanted to be identified as American. And many of them took or were given American versions of their names. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you were growing up, Bob, what level of awareness did you have of your Irish background? Oh, I would say 100%. Okay. I, I was aware of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was it like growing up, like, let's say on the, I know this is a, a cliche, but on St. Patrick's Day, was it a, a celebration in your family or? Uh, not in the family, but uh, in the neighborhoods and in the cities, it was, uh, 
you know, green beer and shamrocks and leprechauns yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. No. They, so, they had nothing mm -hmm. to do with Irish culture. It had to do with mm. Irish American culture. Hmm. That's a quite a pertinent point, huh? Although, yeah. in a way, I guess modern Ireland is almost importing a lot of that back in, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think it's a real step back. Hmm. So, Bob, I'm going to jump across because you have lovely Irish. Um, so how did you get to that point? <laughs> and I'll ask more questions along those same lines. But that's a very interesting question because it's a, a real unusual background. As I said, I didn't know anything uh, about the language until maybe I was in my 40s uh, and reluctant wow. and embarrassed to admit that up until that time I didn't know it. But at the local Irish pub, where we would go, one of the fellows there asked me if I thought there would be any interest in an Irish language class. He thought if there was enough people interested that he would offer the class. And I said, well, I don't know how many people are interested, but I certainly would attend. So we had about 10 people show up for that first class, uh, all Irish Americans. And the class lasted for about six weeks and the teacher quit. He said he just had too much else to do, and teaching really wasn't something he wanted to fill his time with. So we wanted to continue. Mm -hmm. So the 10 of us continued meeting weekly and searching for materials and books. And at that time, there wasn't much available. Uh, there wasn't much on the Internet. We found some audio tapes. If anybody out there still has a tape player, that remembers what a tape player is. We had tapes. And it was close to five years that we limped along doing that, really the blind leading the blind. Hmm. And then uh, a couple of things converged. One was that I saw an announcement for this North American Association Celtic Language Teachers were having a meeting in Philadelphia. And going through my mind, was the question, why do some people lose the accent of their first language and others don't? Yeah, most don't, I think. Eh? Yeah, and, but yet there are some that you, know, you, you just don't know what their first language is. Mm. And then, so I went up to this group and there was a lot of linguists in the group and professional teachers, university level. And I found out that there is no one answer to mm. that. But I really liked the people. And so I joined that organization and have been with them ever since. At about the same time with our small group in Baltimore, just struggling along, someone mentioned a group in New York State called Dalti Nagelga mm. and said that they had immersion weekends. So I started going up there and I felt welcome. I felt like this is where I belong. The people were very open, welcoming. The teachers were teaching through a, a very friendly, relaxed style. And so I just continued with that. And then doing both the NAACLT, the Dalton Galga. Friendships grew, uh, started hanging around with people that had Irish. We met a fellow, he was doing graduate work at the University of Maryland, and he was raised bilingual in Dublin. His parents were Irish speakers. And he spoke mm -hmm. both Irish and English. And so we made a deal that every Saturday I would buy lunch for him 
mm-hmm. and we would spend the time speaking in Irish. Excellent. And that probably wound up costing me more money than had I hired a teacher because <laughs> college students can really pack it away. Lunch. <laughs> <laughs> but he encouraged me to go to the courses up in Idiscale, Donegal, because his family was from Donegal. So I started going up to those courses, and then this fellow from Dublin, Carmack, he would come with me just because he wanted to get away, have a good time. He wasn't married at the time, so mm-hmm. it was a, a fun holiday for him. And through there, I met other people and started going back to Donegal again and again, uh, made a lot of friendships there. And then I, at some point, I noticed my circle of friends was being narrowed just to Irish people and particularly Irish speakers. And my wife would criticize me. She said, you got to get out and meet more people and start reading stuff other than Irish books. And I said, why? I'm perfectly happy doing this. Hmm. And so now, you know, I've reached a little better balance, but uh, I still like the Irish. Any chance I get to speak it or read it, I will. And Bob, do you do you feel like you speak enough or do you find yourself beating yourself up in in that why don't I know that particular phrase for that particular thing? <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely true. That and forgetting words, hmm. because it's so true. If you're not using a language, the words slip away very quickly. Hmm. Yeah. And phrases and idioms, that's one thing that you really can't learn unless you're immersed in a culture. Hmm. Interesting. So, Bob, I, I want to backtrack a little. So you mentioned, first of all, that there was you, you were lucky enough to have basically a teacher, somebody running the, the lessons, I guess. And you said that you continued on after that for five years. Yes. For those five years, you said you were all Irish Americans. So I take it, there, like, was there somebody who uh, spoke a bit of Irish competently enough? Were you all kind of beginners at, at the beginning then, or at what stage were you at? We were all beginners. Hey. I was. I had the most interest and maybe the most time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was, well, and also I was the one that was going up to the Dalton Galga weekends in Washington State. Mm. So I was uh, kind of the, the head man of the group. You know, really the, the man with one eye is king in the land of the blind. That was me. Uh, I I was maybe just one lesson ahead of the class. And and I would, did it help you? Like, were you? Did you feel like you were learning as the lessons went on? Oh, I I definitely was, definitely was. One of the difficult things was though that there was no one there ever to correct me. So mm-hmm. it was very easy for uh, mispronunciations to get calcified. Uh, mm or you know, incorrect use of phrases or you know, incorrect use of idioms. And even today, sometimes I struggle with word order. Mm. That I, uh, I don't want to make things sound English, but yet I, I often know that in Irish, things would be say, said differently. Mm. Okay. And that's from not growing up with it. Mm. I think it's a common error. Hmm. And so uh, jumping forward, you were mentioning about you basically built a, a circle of friends around you um, yes. surrounding the Irish language. 
And you did what uh, something that I would point out as one of the successful habits of very successful learners is that they make the language a part of their daily life. So whether it's hopefully speaking with somebody, but even before that, maybe if you want to a bit more passively, like listening to radio on a grail tachta, um, participating even in some Facebook groups for the Irish language. So we had a blog post recently on Bite Size Irish Gaelic about the top Facebook pages where you can chip in and just have some people around you who are using the language. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So Bob, that's great. Yeah. yeah. My question to you is, we hear from a lot of people at Bite Size Irish Gaelic and a common theme is that they don't seem to have found people around them in their vicinity, in their locality. They haven't found others um, interested in the Irish language and they feel like they're struggling. They, they just got so far after a couple, couple of months and they don't know where to from there. So there's a lot of people at, stuck at that stage. Yeah. So Bob, what would your your advice be to that person? I would say get out and beat the bushes. Ah. Find local organiz- Irish organizations. And if you don't want to join, at least go to a couple of meetings and ask the people there who speaks Irish or who came from Ireland. Because I've found it over and over again. Someone from Ireland will say, I forgot it all. Or I was never very good in Irish. Well, first of all, they have not forgotten it all. It's all there. <laughs> and even if they think that their Irish is not good, who are they comparing that with? Yeah. But they have a whole lot more Irish than a beginning uh, American or Australian or somebody from Germany, you know, wherever. Uh, so that w- that's one thing to do. Another thing I did is I started going around to nursing homes and I would ask if there was somebody in the nursing home that was from Ireland. Because people in nursing homes are very willing to talk to you. They really want to have the company. And, of course, obviously, they're well, most part, they're older people that have the patience to work with a beginner. And then I started calling Catholic parishes to see if they had any Irish priests there. And one time it turned out to he was the chaplain at a girls' school 10 minutes away from my office. And he said, no, no, I, I have no interest. I don't have time. And so I kept pestering him. And finally, he reluctantly, <laughs> he reluctantly agreed to meet with me. And we, we started doing a few things. And then I said, well, you know, are you free next week? And he said, well, yeah, yeah, let me see. Well, as time went on, he was calling me to see if I was going to come over. So it just, whatever it was, I, I just rekindled something in him. So there's a reluctance for the Irish people, and if you gently push them, prod them, you'll you'll find someone that will speak with you. Excellent. But Bob, like, I I would just feel bad if I was pestering somebody. Like, I feel bad before asking the question in the first place. Yes. So, like, are, are you pushing yourself when when you were putting yourself in this situation, or is it something that comes naturally to you? I, I, no, it does not come naturally to me. It was hmm. very difficult for me. Uh, by nature, I'm very passive, but it was that my desire to learn was greater than my passivity. So I pushed myself to do it. 
but I did I approached everyone in a very passive, polite way. Mm-hmm. And if you know, other than the priest, uh, if they said no, I just let it be. But the priest, he, you know, in my back door, I couldn't let that opportunity go by. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. It, actually, it something um, you were talking way back in the conversation, you mentioned you didn't really know there was an Irish language until your 40s. Yes. So that's amazing. So I have a couple of questions based on that. First of all, like, did you know there was, like, you must have heard of this vague language called Gaelic, I guess. It, it just mustn't have been very clear, was it, of what that was? Uh, I'm not even sure I had that uh, ah. Yeah, I just you know, I I took Spanish in high school and college, and when I was I lived in Puerto Rico for a while, spoke a bit of Spanish down there, but I really didn't have any interest in languages. It was just something to do. Hmm. And I guess when I became at a certain point in your life, you become interested in where did I come from and who are those people, mm. and so I started looking at that, and there you are. Excellent. And another question I have for you. Now, we, got, we get this question from people ranging from their kind of 30s, I say 20s, and I say this in jest, all the way up. So uh, what they tell us is, I'm too old to learn, so I might as well not start. And what huh. I tell them is, do, do start now. You can start at your own pace. And the worst thing would be to look back in five years' time and just say, I wish I spoke even that little bit of Irish, even understood those couple of phrases. Yes. If only I had started. Yes, you have good advice, Owen. So for somebody in their 40s listening to this, Bob, is it too late for them to start? It is not. It is not. There are so many resources available. Bite Size Irish, for example. And then the number of books now that are available, even at children's books, one thing with adults is we want to learn a new language and be up to our first language competency very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's not going to happen. Just take your time and enjoy the trip. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I love it. Great advice, Bob. Tell me about the North American Celtic Language Teachers Association. And I got that wrong, didn't I? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're close. North American. North, yeah, go on. North American Association for Celtic language teachers. So tell me about the state of the teaching of Celtic languages. And I'm sure it's probably not just North American based people even who show up, but is there a vibrancy there? Is there a lack of people or what's the kind of feeling uh, for the Irish language across North America, Bob? I come from a different perspective because I'm involved with the language and involved with people who are in the language, involved with very positive people. So Mm -hmm. I feel very positive about it. Mm -hmm. And do you find that, like, are there uh, a lot of teachers um, across the states or is it a handful of people who show up um, with the Irish language or what kind of scale is it at? Gosh, you know, people are scattered and diverse, and we don't come together as a group. And I'm saying that just on the heels of a nice conference, which I did not attend, 
that was in Milwaukee, which was for the Irish teachers, Irish language teachers of mm. North America or of the United States to get together. Uh, I think that conference just concluded this weekend. Mm -hmm. So there is an attempt to bring the teachers together. Excellent. Bob, do you run, or you used to run at least, uh, an Irish immersion day? We did, yes. Oh, let's see, that was a so when I was at Merrillhurst, uh -huh, okay. we wanted to do something more, we wanted to reach out to the community. So we had our first Irish day at Merrillhurst in 2007. And we had no idea how many people would come. We thought we'd be happy if 20, 25 people came. And almost 100 came. Wow. And we were just overwhelmed by it. And the numbers dropped off for you know, all the different reasons that people drop out of different organizations. And then it was about three years ago when the Irish language classes at Merrillhurst ceased being. Mm. But at the same time, there was another group out here that was growing. It was dance and Shando singing. And they said, we got to include the language in this. And uh, its original name was Shan Nose Northwest. And so we folded into that, and then that organization is now, the, I think it's the Irish Cultural Society of the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. And we, I'm saying we, I'm a part of it, but it's really just a few people that organize it and really make it run. We have two events a year, one at Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington, and the other here in, or in Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. One in February and one in the fall. Well, Bob, if there's um, a listener somewhere in that vicinity, I do hope that um, they'll make the effort to travel and to show up. Um, yes. Bob, before we finish, I wanted to throw in uh, just a bit of feedback that we got um, from podcast listeners as well. Just it'll give you a sense of how you're helping to encourage people who will be listening to this. So Barbara Spice um, said on Twitter, I'm listening to older podcasts now. I love your content. Uh, thanks for all that you do to keep the world informed about your Irish culture. So thanks, Barb. And it's been hey, lovely yeah. Yeah, communicating with her. Logan on Twitter said, do you go Twitter? I just recently discovered an excellent podcast about Irish Gaelic. And he linked to the Bite Size Irish Gaelic podcast. So thanks, Gurumaha Guts, Logan. And I wanted to say thanks to Mitch Mitchell in Georgia, in USA, um, who got in touch with us with a suggestion of what to cover on the podcast. So best of luck to Mitch on purchasing a property in Ireland, and I hope it works out. So the, the most important part of this podcast, actually, what keeps it ticking over is content suggestions on who to speak with next on the podcast. So if you're listening to this um, please do get in touch. We do get uh, good suggestions and we're always taking them on board and we contact guests and we see how it works out. So we can never guarantee it, but uh, we do our best. So, Bob, um, I have to say, Gurumila Mahagut, thanks so much for your time and encouragement and uh, positive words on this oh, podcast. Thank you, Owen. It's been a real pleasure talking with you and. Uh Gurumilamahagathena, as ut and sar over at a yenivagat, er son nakusha.
Oh, so if you're listening to this, you can leave a direct uh, reply to Bab. You can continue with our conversation. All you have to do is come to our episode show notes page. So just go to www.bitesize.irish slash podcast five zero. And Bitesize Irish Gaelic lets you make a real connection with your Irish heritage by learning to speak the Irish language in bite-sized portions. Take a no-obligations free trial for the entire program at bitesize.irish slash try. And finally, thanks to Tsukumo, as always, for their music, which you hear on this episode under a Creative Commons license, and it's been recorded in Japan. Fair play to them. <laughs> Until the next episode, slán go foil. Bye for now.